chapter 9, starting in verse 30. And inside your program this morning is a sermon outline also with the text written out for you in it. I mentioned last week, this is a church where we don't pick and choose which passages of the Bible we will preach from. We choose books of the Bible and then we take it all in. And uh, some churches just want to pick the easy passages or the pleasing passages and some of the hard passages, well, they might skip over them, but we can't do that and we don't want to do that. We want the whole counsel of God. And so Romans 9 through 11 are one of those challenging and difficult passages of Scripture. Lydia, there may be some in the front here who need still a sermon outline. If you don't have one in your hand, you'll want it with you. Starting in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or, who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So far, the reading of God's Word. As you know, I like to have conversations with people about spiritual things. 
And wherever I am, if, if it's possible to turn the conversation to the things of God, one question that is an obvious question is this question. Well, how do you think people get into heaven? And I hear all kinds of answers, but usually they have a common denominator that is the same thing. The most common response is, well, I'm trying hard to be a good person. Be sincere, do your best, do good works, help the poor, and hopefully you'll get into heaven. That's the answer of my Muslim friend. I follow the five pillars of Islam, I pray as they tell me, I I give alms to the poor, I do the holy fast, you know. That's the answer of my Mormon friends, over millions of them. I go on a mission, I knock on doors, I stand up boldly for my religion, I tithe, I wear the garments they tell me to wear. Even my secular humanist friends, my barber, how do you think you get into heaven? He's holding a razor, you know. But how do you think you get into heaven? And secular humanists will say, well, if there is a heaven, I suppose it's by being a good person. And sometimes I talk to people who go to church, church church-going people. How do you think you get into heaven? And they answer, I'm trying my hardest to be a good Christian. And when I hear that, a red flag goes off in my mind. Because the Bible teaches, and this passage of Scripture in particular, teaches something very different. If you're not careful... You fall into the trap of doing Christianity by trying harder, being nicer, doing better, improving myself. And there's a great danger in this. Why not? Paul tells us why not in our text. He says, these things do not satisfy God, and you will not attain the righteousness of the law by trying harder. That's point number one this morning. Do you see it? He he starts a new section in verse 30 when he says, what shall we say then? And he's he's been wrestling with anguish about why his Jewish kinsmen, his Jewish friends for the most part, are rejecting Jesus Christ, right? And he then unpacks it explicitly here. And he tells us they were trying to be saved, how? By their own good works. Verse 32, Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. And trying to be saved by their works, they stumbled over Jesus Christ, the Savior. This is the big idea. Paul tells us, you cannot justify yourself before God based on your performance, but this is the impulse of all religion. The basic impulse of cults and all religions, and even my secular humanist barber friend, is that acceptance with God is based upon my performance. Did you you catch that? Acceptance with God based on my performance. 
Paul tells us to approach God through faith in Christ, looking to Christ, receiving Christ. And the different result, actually, is that you attain righteousness by receiving God's righteousness in Christ. Why is there this impulse so deep inside of you and me and, and in all religious to, to gain acceptance based on performance? I'll tell you why. The reason is because way back in the Garden of Eden, when God established His covenant of creation with Adam and Eve, it was based on a works principle. It was based on acceptance due to performance. Obey me and live. Disobey me. Eat of the fruit that is forbidden. Disobey me and you will surely... What's the next word? Die. Blessing for obedience, cursing for disobedience, and then Adam fails. God republishes this with Israel there at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, and He makes a covenant with national Israel, His people. And he, he, in Deuteronomy 30 and 31, in Leviticus 26, you see that for national Israel, I mean, we're just talking about national Israel, you have this republication as they enter into a new Garden of Eden, a land flowing with milk and honey, with God in its presence. It's just like Eden. And there they may stay in the land and be blessed in the land if they obey. But they are promised the execution of the covenant curses. They will be expelled from the land if they disobey. And Israel, like Adam, fails. It runs deep in us. But what Adam teaches, and what now that we have inherited the sinful nature of Adam, and what Israel and their failure teach us, is that even our best works and our most fervent prayers still fall short of the glory of God. You know, I've said this before. How are we to understand this? Because we are now sinful and broken and separated from a holy God, you, and I know a lot of you, I know most of you, you're good people. And you, you're probably better than I am. You might be at the top of the mountain of morality and performance. I'm maybe only a third of the way up the mountain. But we are still 93 million miles away from the sun. Some of you are good swimmers. You're probably a better swimmer than I am. You can jump into the Pacific Ocean in Malibu and start swimming west. And you swim, and, and you, you can swim four miles. I could doggy paddle a mile. But you're still a thousand miles from Hawaii. We still sin and fall short. I don't care how good a swimmer you are. I don't care how, how, you know, how good your record is as a nice citizen. We still fall short. And if you're trying to approach God through your works, where is your faith? It's in yourself. It's still faith in self. And I'll tell you, you can go to a Christian bookstore and you can find a hundred books on how to do better and be a better person and, and try harder and live that best life and, and all kinds of self-help books. But I tell you what, 
while it's okay to live with confidence, it is a dangerous thing to somehow think that if you just improve yourself, that makes you acceptable to God. Who was like that? Jesus talked about this with the story of the prodigal son. It's a really humbling story. Remember the older brother of the prodigal son? The older brother, who was he? He was the good guy. What does he say to his dad? I served you for years. I did what you wanted. I always obeyed you, and now you pour out your grace on this no good brother of mine. What have you ever done for me? That's the older brother's response. See, he believes his acceptance is based on his performance. And Jesus disapproves of him. You see, Paul explains this paradox in verses 30 and 31 of our text. It says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness nevertheless attained it. Whereas Israel, which did pursue righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. And Paul is telling us, don't make the same mistake. They were sure that they could do it by keeping the law. You go to church, you say, go to confession, you do your penance, you drop your nickel in the offering plate, you go on a mission trip, you teach Sunday school, you you obey traffic laws, you even voted in the primary. You attended your kids' soccer games. You have, you, you know, you have parent righteousness. You have voter righteousness. You have driver righteousness. Don't make the same mistake. He says, Paul says in Romans 10 verse 3, this is the key. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And there it is. You understand? Seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. Oh, friends, it runs deep in our hearts. Partly because we were created that way after Adam and Eve, but that game is over. Paul explains this in Galatians. I'm going to camp on this. Please, Christian, camp out with me for a moment in Galatians chapter 3. Listen to Galatians 3, starting in verse 10. Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, here's why, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, so there is a way to be justified by works. There is a way to get into heaven by works. All you have to do is obey the entire law of God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all the time. That's all you have to do. Leviticus 18.5. He says, uh, you know, the man who does the law will live by the law. But he goes on. Verse 11, Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Yes, I will fail. But there is one who did not fail. What do we say around here? I hope you have it deep in your psyche. That Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived. He said, I came to fulfill all righteousness. We call it the act of obedience of Christ. He was without sin. And Jesus Christ died the death we deserve to die. He went to the cross, there receiving the punishment we were due. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I said it earlier in the service. It's not original with me. Jack Miller used to say, John, one of my mentors, he would say, deep in our souls, we all want to add at least one brick to the house of our salvation and admire that brick. My, what a nice brick I put in. That we sang the hymn, Christ alone, cornerstone of our faith. It's, it's not about doing something great for God. It's so interesting. Paul chooses this strange Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy to explain this life of faith. And it's, 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 it's puzzling. But in Deuteronomy 30, in verse 11, Paul quotes from it. He says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? Strange. He then, Paul adds an editorial in his, quote, to bring Christ down. Or who will go into the abyss to bring Christ up? It's not about doing some great thing. Look at me. I'm ascending to heaven. No, no. God already sent Christ. Thank you very much. Look at me, I'm going to take care of the problem of sin and go into the abyss, pay for my own sin. Some people think they can actually pay for their own sins by doing penance. Oh, friends, you can't say, I will ascend into the abyss and raise... No, Paul says, Christ's already been raised from the dead. He says, rather, the word is in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. It's faith in Christ. Do you understand? Faith in another. It's it's unfortunate. In verse 3, they tried to establish their own righteousness. Don't do that. It's the crux of the problem. I know. You are good citizens. You just paid your taxes. You did vote in the primary. You did go to your kid's soccer game. You did help the little old lady across the street. I know. Good for you. Paul says they were ignorant. There is a better righteousness, the alien external righteousness that comes from Jesus. Verse 4 is the answer. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Righteousness by faith in Christ. He did it all. So will you believe? He says it's near you. It's easy. Just believe in Jesus. Well, apparently, it's not so easy to just believe in Jesus. And those of you who are impatient, 
with your non-Christian friends and family members, you know? Why don't you just get with the program and trust in Jesus? Let me tell you something. Paul says it's not easy to do. Why? Because Jesus is a stumbling block to people. Did you catch that in the text? This leads us to point number two. Jesus is a stumbling block to many people. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Verse 33, as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul is upset by his, his, his own Jewish kinsmen who, who are rejecting Christ. But that is not just old news. That is current news. I don't know if you ever read the book Betrayed by Stan Telchin. It's a fascinating book. I bought uh, a whole bunch of copies and the peop- to give away, and, whole- and people in the first service took them all but one. Um, but there's one more for somebody who's interested. Stan Telchin uh, is a fascinating gentleman who uh, was a very successful insurance salesman in the Washington, D.C. area. He was president of the United Way. He was highly respected and regarded by people in the community. And the worst thing, he said, that could ever have happened to my family happened. My daughter, she didn't have an abortion. She didn't kill anybody. She wasn't arrested. It was worse than that. My daughter became a Christian. She betrayed the family. And so the discussion goes on between he and his wife. What do parents do when their adult children go in different directions? Well, parents argue. (laughs) They argue with each other. And they were arguing, he and his wife, Ethel. And she says, this is what troubles me about you, Stan. The world has not come to an end because Judy believes in Jesus. I know. I was upset, just as you were in the beginning. Well, I still don't want this for Judy. But the more I read of Jesus, the more I like him. That's not the issue, I fumed. It's not hard to like someone who helps people and is good to children. My problem is with what Jesus says about himself. That's the issue. Like what? He says things like, I and the Father are one. Jesus says that he is God. Ethel says, that's right. Ethel's busy tidying the top of her dressing table. There's nothing halfway about what Jesus did and said, she mused. I guess that's what bothers me so much. It's easy to accept him as a good person, a brilliant teacher, even a prophet, But those statements he made about himself drive me up the wall. You have to accept him completely or or what? Or you decide he's nutty as a fruitcake. That's what it boils down to, isn't it? Either it's all true or it's all false. Then Ethel changed the subject. Stan... How much longer are you going to go on with this? You can't just forget your business. He stopped doing business for six months, studying philosophers, theologians, studying the Bible in order to disprove to his daughter. She says, how long are you going to go on with this? 
He says, I promise you, we won't starve, Ethel. This is just something that I have to do no matter how long it takes. Judy has brought us to a crisis of belief. And now a very interesting statement. He says, I've got to prove that she is wrong. He's stumbling over Jesus Christ. People do. The claims are so awesome. What about you? What about the people you love? Paul quotes from Isaiah 8 verse 14. This was prophesied. And he will become a stone of offense. He's going to be offensive to people. And a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. And a snare and a trap to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then Paul applies it directly to who? To Jesus Christ. People will stumble. People do stumble over Jesus Christ. Why? Because we so are committed to our own righteousness to succeed in getting us to God. We stumble. What do we do? Oh, friends. Maybe some of you today have come this far to say, well, I do know I want Jesus to be a sweetener in my life. We'll add a little saccharin, you know, the pink stuff. Take some of the bitterness out of my life. I'll have Jesus for that. But have him as Savior? That's for the bad people. No, John Calvin, there's this quote from John Calvin that Jack Miller and Tim Keller quote all the time in, his, in, in comments on, from the book of Romans. Calvin says this, the first step to obtaining right, the righteousness of God, I'll begin again, the first step to obtaining the righteousness of God is to renounce our own righteousness. Okay? And then you embrace the cross. But I tell you what, I've found this is a problem not just for unbelievers. Christians, church-going people, believers can become stumbling, unstable believers. And on the back of your sermon outline, you see this chart, this interesting chart. It's called the cross chart. I want you to take it home. You can put it on the magnet on your refrigerator. You can study this. But just look at these three crosses here. You see, when you become a Christian... On your timeline, you discover the holiness of God, you observe uh, your sinfulness, and you see the cross sufficient to cross the gap, and you are, you're so happy, <laughs> you're so pleased. But over time, you learn more about the holiness of God and the, the righteousness of God, and you begin a process of self-discovery, more of your own sin. And here's the problem. The problem is that in our own minds... The cross doesn't grow. The cross no longer feels big to me. And so there's a gap. This is for illustration. There's a gap between the top of the cross and your new sense of the holiness of God. And there's a gap between the bottom of the cross, this middle cross, and your conviction of your own sins. And you know what you do? You do what I do. You begin to just minimize the holiness of God. Surely, God can't be serious. The, the, these things aren't really sins. And down underneath, I, I get my, my sin is convicting me, but I excuse it. It's not really that bad. Everybody does it. You see? 
what do I need? I need to get out of my denial, my excuse making, my minimizing of God. What I need is a big cross that frees me to be honest. Oh God, I worship you in your holiness. Oh God, I despise my sin. Thank you for the cross. And that's where spiritual power comes from. That's that third cross, you see, the big cross. Do you have a big cross, my friend? In this church, maybe they would know us as the people with a big cross because we have a big Savior, a great Savior, not some shrunken, shriveled, puny Savior. We have a big Savior, a great Savior, a sufficient cross. And so I don't have to save face and deny my sin, but I confess it. And I join the pastor and the elders of the church in repenting of my sins and going to the cross again day after day and Sunday after Sunday. Are you with me on this? Let's not stumble over Jesus Christ. We sang that song. His grace is enough. Do you believe that? And that Paul now drives us to point number three, verses 9 through 13. And he says, oh, Christian, Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. What is the heart? Those of you who are in the marriage conference this weekend, we learned the heart is, is the steering wheel of your mind and your emotions and your will. The heart is that summary of who you are, the causal core of your life. And with the heart, you believe. There is a trusting, an abandoning of self, and a resting in Christ. With the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? What you're saying when you say Jesus is Lord, when you confess, confess, homo legeo, it means to agree with. It means you're going to agree Jesus is Lord and I am not. Oh, the earth's poets, they say, be the master of your fate. Be the captain of your soul. But when you become a Christian, you say, no, Jesus is my captain. Jesus is my master. He is the Lord. Have you come to that place in your life? Have you agreed with that in your life? And then to confess is to be bold and to stand up for Jesus. We had our our membership class in the first Uh, during the first service. It was great. So wonderful to see people who want to stand up with us and declare their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Have you come to the place in your life where you are identified with Jesus? I remember when my sister, she she, uh, had joined the church But for her, the confessing Christ as Lord came at a unique moment. She was a public school teacher in the teacher's lounge. That's where the teachers go to get away from the kids. And she's sitting in the teacher's lounge, and the teachers are talking 
you know, like sailors, cursing like sailors. And she said several of the teachers particularly would use the name of Jesus as a curse word. And it was not uncommon for them to curse using the name of Jesus. And Susan sat there and finally she said, I don't know, my adrenaline started to run and I stood up and I said, excuse me, please, but I want to say something to those of you who use the name of Jesus to curse someone else. I just want you to know Jesus means everything to me. Jesus is my Lord. And I would beg you not to despise him because I love him. That was a life-defining moment for her. Have you come to a place like that where you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart? Be bold for him. Confess that Jesus is Lord. That God raised him from the dead. That's verse 9. That you've come to the place where you stake your life and rest your soul on the one who went to the cross for you. Listen to me. Kevin prayed with us for Gloria Cruz. I got a call this morning from Diane Parenti. Gloria is a member of this church. She's in her 80s. She's dying. Her organ failure has reached a place where she's now in hospice at the end of her life. But she has had dementia, serious dementia, for a long time. And I would visit Gloria in the rehabilitation home. And she would be pretty demented, just sitting there. And it would be weeks between my visits. But I would walk in the room and she would shout out, my pastor is here! My church! I love my church! She said of you. I love my church! And we would sit and we would talk and she would talk about eating bagels the North Shore Community Church. And then she would say, when I lived in Florida, I sang in the choir. I said, oh, Gloria, what would you sing? And together, there in the room, in front of all the other patients, we would begin to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And she would sing out, and I would sing out. This is the two of us singing amazing grace. And we would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. The woman who would hardly speak a word, she would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we would say the Lord's Prayer out loud for anyone to hear. She believed that God would raise her from the dead, and in the next 48 hours or so, she will see that it is true. For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Have you come to that place? Oh, I trust that you have. I pray that you have. Don't stumble over Jesus Christ. Believe in him. You say, but I'm a Jew or I'm a pagan. I'm a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You say, I've messed up. I've been to prison. I've been in trouble. It doesn't matter. You say, my parents have rejected me. My friends have given up on me. It doesn't matter. God makes no distinction. Come to Jesus Christ. Call on him. And you will be saved. It says, he be, verse 12, he bestows his riches on you. 
justification. No more sin. Your sins have gone as far as the east is from the west, thrown into the depths of the sea. And if they're in the depths of the sea, there's no more shame. You say, oh, preacher, if you only knew what I've done, the shame I bear. Paul says, the riches of God, no more shame, because Jesus took your shame, took it all, and you stand with your head held high as a child of the King, delighted in and beloved by God the Father through Jesus Christ. Don't stumble over Jesus. The Scottish people. The Scottish people are largely Presbyterians. We are Presbyterians. That's a secret to some of you. But but Presbyterians, they love the old doctrines of grace. And one of the great hymn writers was a man named James Proctor. And James Proctor wrote my favorite hymn, one of my favorite hymns. The title of it is, the title of the hymn is, It Is Finished. He wrote these lines. I'll say them twice. Just this one little stanza. He wrote these lines. Cast your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. And all of Scotland learned this great hymn in their churches. And so Proctor wrote a preface. He was a preacher, and he wrote a preface to the hymn. Here's what he wrote. Listen to this. He he quotes from our passage, Christ is the end of the law. He writes this. Since I first discovered Jesus to be the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes... I have more than once met with a poor sinner seeking peace at the foot of Sinai instead of Calvary. Wait, 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 what does that mean? Seeking peace at the foot of Sinai. Does anybody know what he's talking about? Sinai was where the law was given, you see, where the law, where acceptance by performance might be found. He said, I have found a poor sinner seeking peace at the foot of Sinai instead of Calvary. Does anybody know where Calvary was? Where is Calvary? Calvary is the cross. That's the hill on which Jesus was crucified. I have more than once met with a poor sinner seeking peace at the foot of Sinai instead of Calvary. And I have heard him again and again in bitter disappointment and fear groaning out, what must I do? And I have said to him, do, do, what can you do? What do you need to do? Cast your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for this challenging and complex passage of the Bible that reveals a very simple truth to us, that we do not want to make the mistake of thinking that our performance is what makes us acceptable to you, but it is the performance of another, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one to whom we cry, you are worthy, you are worthy, and the one whom we worship. We thank you, Lord, that we can, though 
you are changing us and we want to do what is honoring and pleasing to you. We are under no illusions, illusions that that would make us acceptable in your sight. Oh no, we rest in Christ alone. Amazing is this grace. How sweet is the sound of this grace that saved a a proud man like me. Yes, we were lost, but now, Lord, you have opened our eyes to see you here. You found us. We were blind, but now we see clearly. If you have never trusted Christ or confessed with your mouth and your heart today, right now, would you do that with me? Could we all, even in this song that we are about to sing, confess, Lord, what we pray, you would place a faith in every heart. Give that gift of faith to one who dares even now to say, I am believing, maybe for the first time, I believe And let your riches wash over them, we pray. Wash over us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.